Today's reading comes from Matthew 2, 1-12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw the star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Amen. Morning, everyone. It's a great privilege to be able to share with you today. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, almost uh, 50 years ago, I came to faith in what was Sunnybank Baptist Church. And then about 40 years ago, my wife and I headed off for service, in initially in training uh, down in Sydney, and I have served him in a variety of contexts uh, to this point in time where I'm now the, uh, the regional Minister for Metro South and the Gold Coast for Queensland Baptist. So privileged to share with you. Um, you'll see that our passage that we're going to look at is from Matthew. And uh, um, the context that I want to talk to you about particularly is a true king, one to be worshipped. And as we begin this journey, I want you to see that unless the Spirit of God does something in us, then it's just going to be a lecture. And it's not that way, is it? So I'm going to ask you to spend a moment and ask the Spirit of God to speak to you as only he can. Let's do that. I'll lead us, and then we'll see what he might do as we share this time together. Let's pray. Father, we're yours. We wouldn't be gathered here today on a Sunday if we didn't want to be those who would listen to what your Spirit has to say. We want to learn from this passage, Father, in ways that will help us to represent you well in life. We want to be those who walk empowered by your spirit, not simply those with a lot of knowledge about you. So guide us and direct us for the glory of your name today. Amen. Uh, just by means of uh, context, in chapter 1, uh, Matthew has been putting in place that the birth of Jesus is going to fulfill all of those expectations that Israel has for a future king. You've heard of these past weeks that here was going to be a child who is the Messiah. 
Here is one who is identified as the son of David of royal descent. Here is one who is descended from Abraham. One who will have an impact on all of the world in ways that we couldn't even begin to comprehend. But more than that, more than that, uh, last week you would have seen that he exceeds the expectations that are just designed for Israel. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The child named Jesus, Joshua, was to be not only the saviour of Israel from their sins, but to be the very one who would rule this world because he is God with us. The verses that we looked at uh, are quite the opposite to that. There's a contrast that comes for us having been given this understanding of what it means to see the fulfilled expectations of a Messiah, to see in the Magi's visit something quite opposite to what is Israel's official response. We gain an insight into the world in which Jesus was born, the circumstances that are part of that. And here is Jesus as king, as opposed to the then current king of Israel, Herod the Great. There's also a hidden contrast that exists almost unexpectedly between the Magi and those who will be the, uh, the religious leaders of Israel, the people of God. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, and that sets the scene. Verse 1. Now, they were the ones who were seekers of the true king. Let's, uh, let's look at something of their background. Uh, perhaps you're unaware that throughout the world, there was a messianic hope for the Hebrews. The Old Testament had been translated into what's known as the Septuagint uh, way back in about 280 BC. That means there was a Greek Bible of the Old Testament available for all those Jews who went and wandered throughout the world. You've heard of the diaspora, those Jews who went out. And there was the scriptures in the Greek language, as the Greeks ruled the world, and uh, it was very much present and an expectation that had a ridden worldwide that there was going to be a saviour that was born. Synagogues existed through the east, from Damascus. Uh, all the women there were uh, people who had come to faith out of a Gentile background. And you'll find that the messianic hope is mentioned by Roman historians such as Tacitus. And then we get a picture of the star. Uh, what's that all about? Uh, in the ancient world, it was really significant. Most people believed in astrology. Not surprising. The, the steady courses of the heavenly bodies represented the settled order of the universe. So when something extraordinary happened, uh, they took note. It was news. It was reasonable to suppose that there was something that God was doing. There was a particular accident 
of history that caused the stars to be associated with kings and leaders. I don't know whether you're aware that at Julius Caesar's death, there was a nova that, uh, that happened in 44, just as Caesar died. And that beginning of a new star appeared in the sky at his funeral pyre. Everyone assumed then, of course, that they had gone, that, that because of uh, Greek belief, Roman belief, he'd gone to the pantheon of the gods. So stars were associated with uh, great men of significance. Uh, Tacitus, this Roman historian, uh, also later on said that there was an expectation that there's going to be a worldly leader that would arise out of the area of Judah. So all of these things in the ancient world led to something of what we begin to understand here. There was also a Jewish expectation about a star. And Numbers 24, 17 says, A star shall come forth from Jacob, a scepter shall rise from Israel. And so that conviction found its way right throughout all of the empire. So it's not surprising that we see uh, from way out in the east uh, a group of men who suddenly see something significant. They looked and something eternal was happening. Important to remember. What was this star that they saw? What was it? Uh, some have suggested that it was Halley's Comet uh, that appeared. They worked out that probably appeared in about 11 BC. Others believe it was the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. I don't know if many of you are aware that uh, there's a rare event like that happening in this year uh, where Saturn and Jupiter are coming together. 400 years since that has happened. This is perhaps the one that many begin to believe. That in this time, that there was this conjoining, this appearance of uh, Jupiter and Saturn. Now, why is that significant for the Magi? Jupiter was the royal planet. And Saturn, as the star of Saturday, associated with the Jews because of their Sabbath observant, had been very much part of Israel's guiding significance. So into this time, the Magi saw this star, saw that it was significant and recognised that something was happening in land of Judea. And so they began their journey. Who, who are these Magi? What's their history? Uh, they were those who have come from the east. The word Magi was originally applied completely to a priestly caste of people who lived amongst the Medes and Persians. Over time, it got to include others. You might be surprised, but those who are well-versed will recognise that this was a role that Daniel himself took up. He was the presiding chief over the Medes and Persians' magic when he was in Babylon. So there's a, a recognition that there's something significant that has happened in God's uh, working together of time. How many were there? Uh, people often think of three. 
and that's attributed by the number of gifts. There's nothing to say that that was the case, that there was three. Nothing to say it wasn't the case, but it's not proven in any way. They were definitely this. They were seekers after the king. They're not the first Gentile followers of Jesus. They can't say that they're those who've come to faith, but they're seekers after Jesus. And because they're seekers after Jesus, they give us a really good insight in what they're coming to do. They're coming to worship, to do obeisance, to be those who will declare that here is someone worthy of their being present and acknowledging and recognising his greatness. They recognise here is someone who's really important. Magi, astrologers from the past. And so they inquire after the specific birthplace of the king. Uh, They had recognised that it was through Judea. So where would you go if you were coming to Judea, to the land of Judah? Any ideas? You'd go to the capital place, wouldn't you? Where governance and everything was. So where did they arrive? They arrived in Jerusalem. And having arrived in Jerusalem, they were there wanting to find out what's happening. We'll read that uh, contact was made with Herod, but we're going to look particularly at Herod now and follow the story of the Magi in a little while. You see, Herod is a significant person. Herod is a king of Israel. And in verse 3, he had heard of the Magi's visit, and guess what? He was troubled. And all of Israel, all of Jerusalem was troubled. Doesn't that strike you as strange? Here they are coming, uh, men of profound uh, significance arriving in Jerusalem. Why would anyone be troubled by the birth of Jesus? Uh, We need to understand something about who Herod was. He was the second son of Antipater, the son of an Idumean, an Edomite of the descent of Esau. What does that mean? He's not a legitimate king of Israel. He's a usurper. He shouldn't have been there. Uh, To get some insight into his life, let's look at his political accomplishments. He was only a young man when he began his career as governor of Galilee. He was appointed as the tetrarch of of Judea in 41 BC, ruled a long time when he was announced as, uh, as the, the, the ruler uh, and the crown of Judea was given to him in 37 BC. He was the, the first one as an Idumean to be king of Israel. You know what his first act was? He destroyed all the potential successors. He had them executed all of those they were married to his wife, Marianne. Afraid to leave just one single descendant, he sacrificed also his wife, the only human being, it seems, that he ever loved. Wow. You getting an idea of what he's like? That's his political life. In vain. He tried to win over the Jews. And guess what? 
it didn't work. As a person, he was quite extraordinary. He was an impressive man, possessed great physical strength, intellectual powers, and able to manipulate all those in Roman power, possessed great tact as a, as a politician does. But he was the incarnation of brute lust. Saw that in the lives of his children, his own behaviour. So in him, there were these two distinct individualities, as was in Nero's case as well. Is it any wonder that Jerusalem, who knew him, was troubled? Is it any wonder that Herod was troubled? Here was someone who could jeopardise the possibility of his rule. So what does he do? He summons the chief priests and the scribes and asks the Messiah's birthplace. And it's very clear. The scriptures make it very clear. Herod understands that the child that the Magi seek is the Messiah. No joy at the prospect of the Messiah coming. None at all. Doesn't join with the angelic choir in celebration. Of, of what is God's greatest gift to humanity. He takes steps to gain advantage by calling the Magi who are seeking after this king and to deceive them by informing them of his desire to go and worship this king too. So he called the Magi secretly. Strange, isn't it? These, these uh, international travellers of, of uh, great renowned, known amongst by his cronies amongst the people. And he sought to arrange a deal with them. Go search and go search carefully for the child. And when you've found him, report to me that I too may come and worship. What a wonderful man wanting to worship this king. Until you read further on in Matthew, verse 16. Then when Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which had been determined from the Magi. Can you imagine willfully killing baby boys? I have three sons. And to hold a baby boy and to see uh, the merciless, destructive nature of this king because of his ego, because of his uh, desire to rule, shows us no surprise that this king, this pretender of, uh, of kingship, died unmourned and unbeloved by his own people to pass into history as perhaps the most soiled of all Israel's kings by violence and blood because of this action to destroy those children. But the Magi, they're off to find and worship the true king. Their inquiry in Jerusalem constitutes an announcement to all Jews that their king has been born. Wow, that's pretty fantastic. They're making it clear. Matthew intends to bring an assessment for you and I to look at ourselves about the worship of the Magi versus the worship and the indifference of the unbelief of the chief priests and religious leaders that there are in Jerusalem. So I went to Bethlehem 
as the Holy Scriptures revealed. What does Bethlehem mean? House of bread. Who arrives there? Who's born there? The bread of life. The bread of life. How God in his infinite purposes brings these things to truth that we might understand the wonder of who he is. The star led the way. God, in his wonderful uh, uh, capacity to organise this world, made sure, as is often the conjunction with uh, these planets, to reappear. The Magi uh, went in honesty, uh, thinking that Herod wanted to worship, and they came, in, as it says in verse 9, to the house. Went into the house to worship. What does that tell you? Where wasn't it? It wasn't in, it wasn't in the stable, was it? There, so there's some time that's passed. Uh, they went and saw the child, not baby. So there's some time that's been passed. If you want to travel from, uh, from over in the east all the way to Jerusalem, it takes a long time to travel, especially when you're doing it on foot or by camel. They went into the house. They bowed down and worshipped him. Wow. Uh, we don't know how much the Magi understood, but I want you to think about their willingness to travel such a distance to worship. Shows that they were more than just curious. The Queen of Sheba travelled from the ends of the earth to visit King Solomon. And some of us can't even get out of bed and come and meet him. It's incredible, isn't it? Are we willing to be like the Magi, who didn't understand the full implication, but were willing to go? And in this passage, this is the first time of significance that it's the child and Mary, his mother. All throughout Matthew, uh, you will find the child mentioned first and his mother. All right? Just a simple thing as you take note. Why? Because Matthew is all about Jesus, all about who this Lord is. Worship the King. Worship the King. Fell to the ground. These significant men humbled themselves, made themselves lower to worship the King. Do you realize that we should not be here today if it wasn't for the grace of God. There is nothing in any of you or me that is worthy of our standing in the presence of God if it wasn't for Jesus. So we come with humble hearts. And here, these men came and they bowed the knee. They worshipped. The tradition that the Magi were kings uh, has derived from the, the explanation of various Old Testament verses from Psalm 72 and Isaiah 49 that says kings will come and worship the Messiah. They, they don't declare that this was that expression, but that's why people think of him in that way. And they gave him gifts, opening their caskets, their treasures. The Magi gave gifts, gifts of gold. Ah, gold 
its appearance and enduring, unchanging qualities has always been identified as significant. It's beautiful and valuable. It's used in conjunction with the temple where tons of gold were used. It's used in uh, the analysis of, uh, of that which we call precious. So a fitting gift for a king. Frankincense, uh, an odorous resin, generally imported from Arabia, yet growing in Palestine, one of the main ingredients of the perfume in the sanctuary and used as an accompaniment to the meat offering. When it burnt, it emitted a fragrant odour and became a symbol of the divine name, an emblem of prayer. Myrrh, first mentioned as a principal ingredient in the holding anointing oil in Exodus 30, verse 23. It was used in the embalming, John 19, 39, for Jesus, and also as a perfume. Uh, you remember uh, that Jesus refused to sip of that mixed with vinegar. What's the significance of these? How significant they were in light of the fulfilment theme, which is part of Matthew's gospel. Gift fit for a king. The king in baby clothes was here. Frankincense was in constant use by the priests in the temple. And the ultimate priest, the one who would come to make reconciliation between God and humanity. Myrrh, used to embalm the dead. Man born to be king was born to die. And those three gifts, we see, we see who he is, what he came to do, and what it cost him. And the wise men bow in wonder before a God who would love us so much. Personal reflection. You know, I wonder how long those magi were there. Uh, how long they stayed. Did they hear what Joseph and Mary had to say about the shepherds, the angelic choir, that there was no room in the inn, that the baby, the king, was born in a feed trough? Had they known what Simeon said when he took Jesus in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. What an amazing experience for men who had travelled as far as they had for what they thought was the most significant event in their life. While preparing to return to Jerusalem and share with Herod, God intervened as he does, and warned them that they should go another way. God, in his infinite grace and mercy, wants us who seek him to be at peace with him. The religious leaders of Israel, the chief priests and the scribes, never worshipped Jesus, did they? They had the scriptures, but they never worshipped Jesus. They had knowledge of the birthplace of the true king, but they never acted on it. They never let the Spirit of God lead them. They were lost in their own righteousness and never found the one who is the way, the truth and the life. Don't make their mistake. It's about knowing 
Jesus. Not simply knowing about him. The Apostle John declares in John 17 verse 3, This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Emmanuel, God with us. Now as we conclude, I want you to think about these things. Herod was a false king. Never had the right to rule and did whatever he could to try and stay in control, even to the destruction of innocent male babies, to try to destroy the one who ruled in his place. Jesus, a true king, the only true king of Israel, but also the only true king of the universe, humble and obedient lived in willing submission to his loving Father. This is what it says in Philippians. Didn't think equality with God was something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now that passage in Philippians 2 goes on to say this, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is a true king, one to be worshipped, worthy to be worshipped. You may have come to church, but never have made Jesus your king. You might have accepted the scriptures, but they're information to you. Are you willing at all times to say, without you, I can do nothing? Nothing. The Christian life is not a religious life. It's a liberated life in the power of the Spirit of God to walk as those who know that God is with them, Emmanuel. That, that uh, liberation is seen not only with the gifts as the Magites, and any worship, any worship that declares in our life and doesn't include gifts, doesn't include your giving of financially, is not true worship. Uh, even a woman, a widow, who gave all that she had was, was more significant than those who give heaps. Because it's the heart, the heart that says, all that I have is yours. I'm a custodian of the gifts granted to me. But it doesn't matter how much you give. The, the, the Jewish rabbis, the chief priests, they gave lots. They would tithe even their dill, mint and cumin. The scriptures remind us in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I therefore urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Those seeking 
found Jesus and worshipped. There's a, an analogy from a, a writer called Domolo who showed something of what the Magi were. This is what he said. The coming of those wise men to Christ has been compared to the experience of certain ones who come to know Christ. They followed what light they had, the star. They arrived at the wrong place. They asked for more light. They didn't receive it from men, but from God's word, the Bible. They followed the additional light which they obtained from Micah 5 too, and they found the Lord. The star came and it appeared that they had not lost any light, but kept all that they previously had. They worshipped him and they returned another way changed the religious leaders never did the pharisees of jesus they knew the scriptures that's why jesus told them in john 5 39 to 40 you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life it is these that testify about me and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life it isn't religious behavior that brings life. It's a relationship with him through faith. Jesus declared in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Let me pray for us. Take a moment to ask God to speak to you afresh of what he wants you to do. Our Father, we recognize how sinful we are how our thoughts are so often self-centered. And we need you to keep us growing to become more like the Lord Jesus. And we can't do it out of our own strength. We'll never do it because we are intellectual. We'll never do it because we're self-disciplined. We'll only do it, Father, when we surrender afresh to the wonder of the power of your Spirit at work within us, that we might live by faith in that which you've accomplished in our Lord Jesus, that we walk as those who don't walk by sight, but by the knowledge that there is in all that you have done, a future that is ours because of what Jesus has done. May it be that we'll hear from you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Guide each one of us, Father, to be examples of your love and grace during this time. Amen.